Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. We've got it to a point in time where there is so much technology out there, it is more difficult to be a parent. We've more things to supervise. To help us out a little bit, uh, Pat Tobin um, uh, has basically said that porn providers should face jail time if they supply pornographic images to children under the new bill proposed by AIM2. Uh, and he says the Protection of Children Online Pornographic Material Bill is aimed at providers who ignore warnings that their material is being accessed by children or assessed by children. Uh, and to speak to me on the line is Pader. Good afternoon to you, Pader. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Not too bad on yourself. Pader, firstly, by the way, just before I get into that, how are you feeling? I know I know you had your own health issues there recently. How are you keeping? We talk to you about it. How's things now? Are you all yeah, right? I'm, I'm not too bad, thanks. Um, obviously, the, <clears throat> when you have serious operations, they uh, they take a little while longer than you probably expect to yeah. um, to heal up. But no, everything's healing. And the last report I've had from the doctors is that it hasn't spread anywhere. Good. So uh, I'm delighted, I'm delighted with that. that. Yeah, Good. thank you. Good. Now, Potter, I mean. It's, I understand and I completely agree with the principle behind this, you know, because I think porno- pornography is just too easy for children to access nowadays, particularly with modern technology and smartphones and everything else. But how do you make the big providers, the likes of, say, Pornhub and these big providers accountable uh, to providing pornography to children? Okay, so I suppose the first thing to, uh, I suppose, analyse really is the changes that have happened over the last number of years. So we know that the proliferation of pornography uh, amongst young children is immense at the moment. So eight- and nine-year-olds have access to hardcore, explicit materials uh, that were probably illegal when we were young, uh, even for adults. Yeah, uh, the best we had was Mayfair magazine or something like that when we we were children. That wouldn't even be considered uh, pornography in in, uh, the the scale of things at the moment. Uh, So we know that about 60% of teenage boys living in Ireland before the age of 13, are consuming uh, pornography. Uh, we also know that it's having a radical effect on their minds and their lives. So it can, it can distort their understanding of healthy relationships. Uh, it can actually be addictive for children. Uh, it can also lead to sexual violence and aggression. And I suppose what really motivated me to do something about this was the Anna uh, Kriegel case. Absolutely. And that was you know, where you, uh, young boys had, I suppose, grown up on a diet of hardcore uh, pornography, uh, by all accounts, and, and, we're and, and violence too, because we, we see that young people have access to violence through video games and, and through what they see on the <clears> internet and YouTube and everything else. So they, they have access to stuff that we had never had access to. So their minds are being distorted. Sure. They're like sponges, of course. They're, and, they're being distorted. And as, as you can imagine, that, that was a, you know, uh, a, a sexually aggressive uh, murder that actually happened on, on that time. And, and like you say, most of the analysis of pornography that's available to young kids show that there's a level of, of violence and a level of aggression inherent in these uh, materials. So ev- I think everybody sh- is probably of the view that we need to do something to stop these kids consuming okay. this. Right? So the second point of it is um, we, we have a, a, a kind of a default standard in this country that if you're involved in selling a material to young kids, or sorry, material that is illegal for young kids, it's your responsibility to make sure you don't do it. So, for example, an off-license is told you can't sell a bottle of vodka to a 10-year-old. The state doesn't tell it how it should do it. It just says, if you want to do business in this country, adhere to the law and don't sell it to the kids. Um, so in many ways, I, I'm not sure why people get so excited over this, because my attitude but is... I think, I, I, it's not that... I don't think people are getting excited and maybe object to what you're saying, and I certainly don't object to anything you've said so far. I completely agree with it. I think we could go <clears> further. But it's how you do that, because... <clears throat> because 
how would you, do you turn around to ISPs, internet service providers, and say, you know, you can't make this available to young children, similar to the way Sky would have a PIN number, for example, if, you know, if some broadcasting, for example, had violence in it or sexual content. But how do you do that to an ISP? Because it's a minefield. Well, first of all, there are companies like Pornhub, which are residents in Ireland, which are operating in Ireland. They're, they're based in, 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 the, um, in the docks. In well, I, I didn't know that, but there you yeah, go. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, uh, and, and that's the first thing. So they do come under Irish law, and uh, they're here, and they can be regulated here. The second thing is ISPs, that these are the internet service providers that you mentioned. Uh, so people pay 30, 40 quid a, a month for these ISPs to provide the internet to their homes. Now, there is a precedence to this, and the precedence is a few years ago, uh, a number of the big film companies took the ISPs to court in Ireland because the ISPs were allowing websites that were streaming Pirate Bay. Films. I think Pirate Bay was the big one that they were talking about at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. so in other words, we, we've actually said to ourselves, if people are, are, are breaking copyright laws, we're happy enough to tell ISPs to, to block those websites. Okay? So there is already a precedent of the, the state and society thinking it's, it's but they, reasonable. Yeah, but that was... Yeah, but- but the difference is that was we'll take Pirate Bay, which was the one that were in court at the time. They were the big sure. ones, and now you've you tried to go onto Pirate Bay to Virgin Media or to any of them, you can't get access to the site unless you yeah. use a, a, what they call a proxy server, right? Yeah. So, but the difference was that was illegal. Pornography is not illegal for adults. And what this, but but what we're saying here is that this is obviously we're making it illegal for children. And so, how does well, the ISP decide who's well, a child well, and who's not? Well, first of all, the, the, the first thing we're looking to do, and, and the Brits tried to do this a couple of years ago, and, and in fairness, their legislation fell down because they tied themselves up into knots around uh, how these ISPs should deliver it. Our legislation, firstly, puts a responsibility on the government to engage with all of the stakeholders uh, around uh, the country on this to develop regulations. Secondly, it sets out a structure whereby the Minister for, Mu- Minister for Communications has to make those regulations, that the Comreg then becomes the enforcement agency, and that if then websites are being accessed uh, by children here, a notice is sent by Comreg to the ISP to contact the provider of this material to say that you have to put in some, some level of age verification um, to make sure that children can't access this. If, if that happens and the age verification is successful, that's the end of the matter. If it doesn't happen and, and there's no age verification or a, a weak age ver- verification put in, in place, a notice goes back and another opportunity is given to the, to the company to fix it. And then finally, it's not fixed at that stage. The ISP is told that they need to block that website. Because there's, there's, there's two rights here, two conflicting rights. Is it the, the right of the business to profit from uh, uh, providing pornography into the country, or do we have the right as parents to protect our children from material that has a massive effect on their minds and potentially creates, uh, you know, serious... And, and I, and I can future. see what you're saying, and, and absolutely in relation to Comreg and the ISPs having a responsibility to, to, to be proactive in doing sure. something. I know the opt-out system that you talked about in the UK fell down because of legislation and data protection and all that yeah. kind of carry on. And, and the Brits haven't given up. They're actually, at okay. the moment, in, in the process of developing legislation on this as well. Okay, both of the, again, the problem is... It's a minefield. You've got Pornhub. Yes, you, you said are the, are the biggest ones, and I didn't know they were operating in this country, but there yeah. you go, they are operating. But you've got many other porn providers out there who are operating all around the world and accountable to nobody. Irish legislation would never be able to stop them or no, never but, be able to do anything so, about it. So, so they have two choices. If, if they're in business and they want to profit by, by accessing the Irish market, they adhere to the, to the law. 
and that means they need some level of age verification that's successful on their sites. If they fail to do that, they have no longer access to the law or access to the Irish market. But but then where do we go then if we look at social media, for example, say Facebook, for example, has uh, over 13s. That's what it's meant to be. Yeah. But yet we have seven and eight year olds on Facebook yeah. because it's just a matter of ticking a box saying, are you over the age of 13? Yes, I am. So, well, I, so what, I mean, what are you going to have to have to do? Driver's license. And then if they don't bring in that strict verification that you're talking about, we're then blocking it, which makes it unaccessible to children who have a legitimate right to look at pornography. For well, example. first of all, on, on Facebook is, is I think, a, a different matter to the content that's coming through uh, on the likes of Pornhub. The, the, the explicit and violent nature of these particular websites is, is in a whole different world than anything that's visible uh, mm. on face, Facebook, to be honest. Yep. And so, so like, it, it stands to reason. We would not let any other company access the markets in this country if they were producing a product which was detrimental to our kids. If, if it was a company that was creating a doll that wasn't safe to use, we would say, you have to adhere to Irish regulations for you to participate in this market. And, you know, w- w- this bill is, is not looking to, to make this illegal for over-18s. We're just saying that if a company wants to provide this material, it has to fulfill its, its responsibilities to the law and to the children of this country. And, and, and but have we, here's another question, and I'm going to throw it out to my listeners after we're finished talking to you, brother. But have we failed as parents as well? Because I mentioned earlier on, myself and Tara were chatting about it on the air, the big Christmas presents this year would be like the PS5 PlayStation, which with that comes Call of Duty, which is going to be a very popular game for Christmas uh, for young boys in particular, but girls play it too. I, I mean, have we failed then in the fact that parents will go out and buy this game for little Johnny and Mary, who were 9, 13, whatever years of age. This game is, I believe, over 16 over 18 uh, like Grand Theft Auto and all the other games have we, are we failing as parents to monitor our children the way we would have mon- or my parents would have monitored me when I was a child I think there's, there's a couple of things I think the vast majority of parents are monitoring doing their best to monitor their kids now I do think you know that it is the parents responsibility to monitor their kids like in the same way it's my responsibility to make, my, make sure my 10-year-old isn't drinking vodka. But it's also the state's responsibility to make sure that an off-license doesn't sell to the kid as well. And the problem with this is, is that, you know, if my kids go into school or if they go to a friend's house, there's likely to be somebody there with a tablet or a mobile phone, you know, in which they can access this. So, you know, unless I'm with my kid 24-7, I can't make sure that I have monitoring ability over all the content that they consume. I spoke to a number of, of agencies who work with children in this space, and they told me that every primary school they go to, there's somebody in the class that is playing Grand Theft Auto mm-hmm. at home. And Grand Theft Auto as well has, you know, uh, Prostitutes who are uh, lap dancers, all this kind of stuff, yes. Highly yes. sexualized, uh, yeah. high violence there. So, you know, the, the, if we want to create a society where kids can actually have a childhood, when they can grow up, to be, you know, w- without, you know, where their minds are, don't have a bias towards violence or, 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 or towards, um, you know, a, a misunderstanding of, of, of relationships. We're going to have to make sure that's what they consume mentally, you know what I mean, is of a decent standard. If, if We're very focused on making sure our kids get the right nutrition and don't eat too much junk. I do think that parents need to be careful that their minds don't receive too much junk in advance of, of them becoming adults, at least when they're adults and their brains are formed, they have an opportunity to make some of these decisions uh, for themselves. Um, so, yes, I do, I do think that the majority of parents are responsible. There are some who are not. 
but the state needs to, to okay. pitch in there okay. as well. It's impossible to do it by Okay, ourselves. well, I, I completely support the bill and I completely support what you're doing or, or certainly the notion of what you're trying to do. And I think there will be complications in it and I'm sure you're aware of that. But I, I, but I do believe that everybody should support it. Just finally, before you go, two things. One, of course, the, the drinking over the weekend in South William Street. Uh, it looks like social media is now dictating public policy. Uh, we've now, the, the government are now going to ban the sale of takeaway uh, drinks, which has come, uh, I know there's objections from rural Ireland in relation to pubs who don't have this problem as other pub. Uh, but the, they have rejected the idea, I believe, of fines for people who are doing it. What's your opinion in relation to the takeouts? Well, I actually think, I think to be honest, we're, we're a million miles from where we should be in the first place in this. Um, Ireland has the second lowest level of COVID in the EU. It has the sixth most severe level of restrictions on the planet. Those two things do not go together. Um, you know, we should have the restrictions that are proportionate to the, the situation that we're in. And we're definitely not. There's a massive cost to the restrictions. Um, and to be honest, I think there's a section of society who have given up on them. And interestingly enough, and I think this is kind of funny, um, there's a section of society who tell me that they support the restrictions, but don't adhere to them either. <laughs> so, um, you know... You well, know, well, then do you support... There's a new white paper, which we'll be discussing tomorrow. We'll speak to, hopefully, maybe Professor Jack Lambert, who's the head of infectious diseases at the Matter Hospital, or one of the people, Dr. Farrell, or one of the people who are now supporting this white paper, uh, which is saying, basically that lockdowns are not the answer. Well, the WHO basically themselves said that lockdowns should be only put into place when hospitals are uh, overwhelmed. You know, the day after the Level 5 lockdown came into place, Stephen Donnelly went on primetime and said there's no crisis in the health service. Indeed, if you look at the level of ICU and bed occupancy as a result of COVID, it is probably a fifth or a sixth of where it was in April. And interestingly enough, you know, the, the, the... the, um, the trolley count currently is about half what it would normally be at this time of the, of the year. Wait, wait, so, Professor, Professor uh, Tony Holohan and Ronan Glynn last night, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn, were highlighting the fact that uh, they see an instability now, they, that they, the downward trend they were seeing has suddenly stopped and there may be an upward trend again. And it's now putting sort of question marks over December the 1st. And it looks like, you know, they're kind of offering us this Hobson's choice of either have no Christmas um, and a good January or have a Christmas and we're going to lock down again in January. That seems to be the Hobson's choice at the moment. See, the problem I have with Neffet is, if you look at Neffet's uh, terms of reference, their job is to fight COVID. And in fairness, they're doing the best they can to fight COVID. But our job, our terms of reference, is the whole of society. You know, today, 480 people will get cancer. 24 people will die of cancer today. Today, 27 people will die of either heart disease or stroke. And mental health is is ending the lives um, of people around the country. That They're not in Neffet's terms of reference. They should be. And are, are there, are there, I mean, let's be honest about this, Padre. Do you believe that figures, um, not intentionally, are being manipulated? Because by your own ambition, many people will die. Today, up to between 70 and 80 people will die every day in this country, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the, a third of those, as you rightly pointed out, will die of cancer. Um, we will have four people, maybe seven people at the most uh, during this month have died uh, with COVID-19. The word, by the way, used optimally here is with COVID-19. Yes, people are dying from COVID-19. I'm not denying that as well. But if we look at what Neffet have said themselves, that between 3 to 6% of people will test positive for COVID-19. If we took the 70 people that died today uh, of all different diseases and tested them all, which they are doing, um, seven, three, 2 or 3% of those will have COVID-19. It may not affect their diagnosis for death, but they will have COVID-19 and they go down as a COVID-related death. Do you think from that point of view, 
And based on what we have heard about PCR testing, which, you know, has to be questioned as well, do you believe that the figures are not intentionally, but unintentionally being manipulated to justify lockdowns? Well, one, the, the, one of the heads of the HSC came to a committee in Leinster House a few weeks ago and was asked by the then chair of the COVID committee, Michael McNamara, uh, if a person is asymptomatic of COVID um, but falls off a roof, is tested for COVID in hospital and later dies, is that, life, is that death put down as a COVID death? And um, Mr. Henry said, yes, it is. So do you um, believe that's manipulation of figures? So th- th- there's no doubt that... that that does not. Those figures that we see do not tell us the real story with regard. Uh, and the question mark over the weekend was as well when it was mentioned that three hundred and say for on average at the moment three hundred and twenty people are in hospital with COVID nineteen. That seemingly somebody put up on the internet checking the data and verify the data. Now we've asked the, the HSE to verify this first, so we're waiting for a response from them. That only seventy four of those are actually in hospital with COVID nineteen. The rest are in hospital with something else, but just are asymptomatic because they were tested for COVID-19. In other words, the figures are being used. You would imagine that in an evidence-based society where policy is coming from science, that that information would be readily available. We can't get that information. We've asked the HSC. They refuse to give us that information. The fact that it's hidden is incredible. We were told by, I think it's Colin Henry um, from the HSC, that the, the stats that are produced and are, that are consumed by the NEFIT don't differentiate at all. Now, if you're purposefully not differentiating that information, like, you know, a scientist has a natural hunger for information to tell them exactly what's happening. The fact that they're not even test, that they're not even recording that information so that the analysis can't be made right is a major problem. And I'm told that WHO have given this as the guideline with regards how information is collected in each country. And the, the, I suppose, listen, my view on this is um, this is an illness and, and you know, this logic would dictate that we, we need to reduce the numbers of it. Mm. But the truth of the matter is that the restrictions in, in this country are overly aggressive. They're way out of proportion. They're doing enormous damage to society left, right and centre. We'll be paying for this in, for generations. And also... And, 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 and I know you don't mean financially. You mean we'll be paying for this for the mental health and the undiagnosed cancers, etc. Absolutely. Et like, you know, yeah. 150,000 missed di- uh, cancer appointments so far this year. 200,000 women uh, on waiting lists uh, for uh, cancer scans this year. You know, I've been talking to doctors uh, who've told me that they just can't get their their patients in in time uh, for... Okay, well well, then let me ask you a question just before you go, because I know you're rushed for time yourself, you have to go back in yourself. But if, if the decision was yours, I know it's not, but if the decision was yours tomorrow, and I ask many politicians this question, what would you do right now? Well, what I would do is I would start to collect the information in, on a scientific basis in which we could tell the difference between an actual COVID-caused death uh, and... In other words, COVID died from COVID rather yeah. than related then, to COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the first thing that I would do. Secondly, I would take the weight off the shoulders of the people by actually opening up much of society. And I would, if there's a line of defense needed, I would invest into ICU and hospital beds so that if there was a case that numbers increased uh, and we, we need that capacity, that that capacity would be there. So the pressure would be taken off society's shoulders and put on to a, a front line within the health service. I would also, you know, uh, trace properly the, uh, the level of COVID within society. That's, that's not happening. 
uh, still at the moment. They would, they would be the changes that I would make currently. Okay, all right. So you wouldn't be putting the responsibility on the people, um, which is basically what we're doing at the moment. The responsibility has been put on the burden of the, has been put on the people to make up for the health service that we've had for the last 30 exactly. years, it seems. So, so when I ask, when I ask the government, uh, how come our restrictions are far worse than any restrictions elsewhere in Europe? They'll say, well, well, Europe, they have stronger ICU and they have more bed capacity. And like I say, well, we've been talking about uh, nothing else but COVID for the last eight months now. And also we had a budget that just spent 18 billion euros extra uh, there a few weeks ago. In all of that, how come we couldn't add another 150 ICU beds uh, and another 2,000 ordinary beds, which incidentally, given the level of waiting lists that exist in this country right through the health service, we need anyways. I mean, I mean the, the big argument, Padre, is if we could produce 18 billion to deal with COVID, why couldn't we produce it last year, the year before, and particularly in 2017, 2018, when we had a really bad flu season, but nearly wiped out our whole health service. Why couldn't we do it then? We could do it now suddenly. Absolutely. Well, to be honest, I, I honestly think sometimes people see conspiracies behind this type of stuff. I actually, I, 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 I see uselessness. Um, to be honest, I often see that within the administration of the state, there is ineptitude left, right and center. center. And sometimes it's very hard, you know, when you have such inept uh, political culture, it's very hard to see how a conspiracy would actually work. They wouldn't be able to actually run a conspiracy, uh, never mind uh, anything else. So mm-hmm. I think what's happening is that you have a government that's inept and they want to make sure that, that you know, this doesn't run out of control, that they're not left with the blame of... Uh, lots of high deaths. Then you have a, a media culture in, in, in Ireland outside a few decent people like yourselves is not asking the hard questions, uh, is not testing or pushing. Well, well, well it's got to the point now, Padre, unfortunately, we've asked Stephen Donnelly, who, by the way, we couldn't get him off the show before he was Minister for Health, uh, but now hasn't appeared once on this show since he's been Minister for Health. I, I've publicly asked him. We have sent at least, I think, 17 emails to his office and we've been, essentially been blacklisted. Well, it's incredible to think that uh, a, a person has been found out so fast, that a person who spoke with such authority when they were in opposition, uh, when they were given a position of influence in which they could actually make a difference, that they have literally oh, run, sure. run Steve, the Stephen was on this show giving out about Simon Harris, going back in April and March and every other time, and, and as soon as he became Minister for Health, he didn't want to come on our show anymore. But look, that's up to Stephen Donnelly. The invitation is still there, by the way, Stephen. So, Aintu is saying that we need to open up society. Uh, we do need to keep an eye on what's going on. We're not saying that all restrictions should disappear. We do believe that uh, pubs, uh, restaurants, shops and businesses uh, should be able to function. And we've actually said as well, we brought about a bill, and I know you know about the bill, in which we're saying that TDs and senators should have a 25% pay cut at a time where shops, restaurants, cafes and pubs are closed. Because... You know, it's very easy when your when your income isn't affected at all. It's very easy to make these these. Well, decisions. Ab- absolutely, and I I, be- I probably believe that those who support these kind of hardline decisions are those who are not going to be financially affected by it in the future, or their absolutely. job stability is not going to be affected by it. But listen, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the air, Padre Tobin, and and we look forward to that bill, by the way, in relation to the online pornography.